0: This is tested from WUNC, a look at how we're responding to the day's challenges in North Carolina and the South.
1: You know what? I tell everybody, I said the only thing I had to fight with was truth. And I won't about to get that up. I won't about to get that up. That's something I could control, truth. Well, my name is Howard Dudley. Uh, I grew up out there in the Institute area, right out from Kenston, and uh, I love life. I enjoy life, and you know, and I'm a person that come up on the squeak rules and regulations by Wayne and Phyllis Dudley. And you know what, they made rules and they enforced them. And we always care that everywhere we go, right now today, those voices still linger in our heart. <laughs> I got five sisters and five boys. That was ten of us: five boys and five girls. I'm a guitarist. I'm a a guitarist. I started back in elementary school, meeting some old guys, and we tried to make it be, but of course we didn't. And so, you know, uh, now I play for my church now. And uh, some of the other guys have passed away, and some of them still living. And and so, uh, you know, I love the guitar music. Oh, I thought I didn't tune it last time, Yeah, it's out of tune now. Sound like a freight train now. <laughs> Coming up, I love the Eddie Van Halen and all those guys. there was uh, Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, yeah. I love those guys, you know. They, they were really accomplished guitarists, you know. Just yeah. Jimmy Hendrix, yeah. It's better, yeah. That's <laughs> better. <laughs> You know, I just need a pick. I can't get my notes in without my pick. And so I just did the best that I could. But you did, Tony. You did, Tony. And I just love chords, and I just love playing gospel. I, I now I play. I played in the band years ago, but now I play gospel. I grew up in the church with my mama. Rules was, you stay here. You go to church on Sunday. We all went to church. That was mama rules. When a, a child Makes such accusations as that You need to look at especially when she don't hold a story together You know There were so many lies that were told This this young girl Mama only, You know what I was guilty of? Breaking a young lady's heart that's, all, that's the only thing I was guilty of That was years before this even coming When I got married All of a sudden I became a child molester That's the only thing I was guilty of Breaking a young girl's heart And so You know I don't know. I try not even think about it because it's, it's
0: going to be hurtful. In the early 90s, uh, Howard was charged with sexual assault of a minor. My name's Joe Neff. I'm an investigative reporter. And I worked at the News & Observer for 25 years. And one of the stories I was lucky enough to do was Howard Dudley.
1: Joe, Mr. Nilf. he You know what? He did a great job. He, he did a great job. He's good at his work and he covered it comprehensively. He did. He covered the story
0: comprehensively and I think that was the starting point. Back in, I think it's 2004, 2005, I was in the newsroom and I got a call from Valeria Williams. She is Howard Desley's sister-in-law and she started telling me about this case and it was one of these phone calls where she started talking. I said, "No, that that that's not right." She goes, "No," and she tell what? What? That doesn't make any sense. No, get out of here. It's extraordinary. And I hung up with her, you know, promising to come talk to her because it just seemed extraordinary that this is a case of where a man spending life in prison, the only evidence was from his daughter was troubled, and she has disavowed her story and, and repeatedly admitted that she lied about what happened. Uh, no
1: way to dance, no nothing but just a girl who mother put all this stuff into her head, and, and you know what, it just worked, it just worked.
0: Uh, Amy Moore, that's Howard's daughter, who had accused him of sexually assaulting her. One day. Amy was staying with a relative on her mother's side who was babysitting Amy. Amy's nine, and one day she says, my daddy's nasty. What does that mean, the babysitter said. Well, he had S-E-X with me. Oh, the babysitter calls social services, social worker comes out, and they talk with Amy. And this is documented in social service files. But there it was not a very... Um, robust investigation? No, the police investigation was very minimal. They relied heavily on uh, the social workers to make that charge. And Howard was charged. He, from the very beginning, from the first time he heard that social service was involved, he went down to social services. This is wrong. She's lying. This is not true. He defended himself. He went down on his own. He wasn't ducking social services. He wasn't ducking police or the prosecutors. Every time he's saying, I don't know why she's lying about me. Maybe mom is resentful. He didn't know. But he confronted it full on.
1: I was taking care of my daughter. Me and her had a relationship. She couldn't spend the weekend with me. And then the thing that got me so bad when I read away, she uh said i Get up on the bed and come in and do this and do that. And I said, oh my goodness. I said, no.
0: Howard's lawyer spent less than 12 hours investigating the case or preparing the case before he went before Howard went on trial for his life. Twelve hours seems pretty minimal. The court-appointed lawyer did not request the social service records. The court-appointed lawyer did not file a motion for exculpatory evidence. He basically did no work before the trial, and Howard is out there on trial for his life. He takes the stand, uh, says he didn't do it. Amy takes the stand, says he did do it. Right now today, I cannot
1: understand how 12 jurors come out and say guilty, no evidence, no, absolutely nothing. I, I don't understand that right
0: And the jury's just looking back and forth. I spoke to uh, some jurors and one of them told me, we actually believed both of them. And we just decided to go with Amy because the charges were so serious.
1: And you know, my heart goes out to people that I spoke to in there that confessed the thing that they didn't do. That one guy had been 37 years in a crime he didn't do. You know, we had to make our own choices. And that's what he did. He took, took the deal on own. And so, you know, I, I, I'm a person that I'm gonna make choices that I can live with. And, and, and the only good thing about me, when I went in prison, I could live, once I learned how to function, I could live with myself. I, I mean, I could get up every morning, I could look at myself in the mirror. I didn't, I didn't walk around with a guilty conscience. I didn't have none of that because I knew I didn't do anything. They knew I didn't do anything.
0: Now, before the trial, and I think this is really telling, before Howard went on trial and a jury was selected, the prosecutor said, if you plead to a lesser charge, indecent liberties, we'll sentence you to probation. Howard said, no, I'm not guilty. I cannot plead to something I didn't do. He could have walked out of court that day in 1992 and been a free man. Completed his probation after two years, been had a whole life, and he refused in any way to acknowledge any guilt here for the next 23 years.
1: That's part of having to deal with what come your way. You know, you you know, you had to function with what you got what you feel comfortable with, you know? So, and, and that, that's what I did. I, I wasn't willing to sit here and say, I molested my nine-year-old daughter. Oh no, I wasn't I wasn't gonna say that. No way I was gonna say that, you know? you know? I had no doubt in my mind. They knew I was an innocent man in 1993 when they locked me up. I had no doubt about it in my mind.
0: Howard's family knew that he was innocent, and they tried several times to get him out of prison, to file a request for a new trial. Amy told her mother, Diane Moore, that she had lied in 2000, and at that point, Diane had a lot to be pissed at about uh, at Howard. He had left her when she was pregnant, and it was making her life difficult, so she had a lot of resentment against Howard. But at this point in the year 2000, she thought that, oh, my God, this may have been a great injustice here. So they went back to court in the year 2000, and Amy took the stand, and Diane Moore took the stand. It was very powerful. Diane took the stand, and she kept saying in a very mournful voice, it hurts, and at this point... Uh, she was HIV positive and had AIDS and would die a, a couple months later. Spirit Court Judge Paul Jones did not believe Amy, and Howard's back in in prison.
1: When I went to prison, you establish you establish yourself there. When you first land in prison, they observe you, and again, just living my normal life, they observe me. And I won't be cussing, I won't smoking, and I, you know what, uh, I just did, did normal. I followed the orders, and they never had a problem with me. I found out what I was supposed to do, I did it. I, I was never breaking rules and regulations, and, and it, it, it must have got their attention. So, and the good name just followed me everywhere.
0: After I wrote the series, I got a call from. Uh, Jim Coleman, who runs the Duke Innocent Clinic, and we talked about the case. And he agreed with me. It looks like there's um, not much that can be done for him. But they, the Duke Innocent Clinic worked on the case and finally came up with, A, Howard hadn't had the social service records that would have helped him at trial. And B, Amy's testimony as a child, as a child with cognitive limitations and some emotional turbulence, that her testimony was not set in context. So, And then also how little investigation was done, how little defense work was done by Howard's lawyer. It took them about a decade overall, but they finally got back in court.
1: They took my case, and then when they took my case... Uh, somebody out here reached Joe, Mr. Nif, And Mr. Nif got in contact with Duke Law School and said everything is strange about this case. And so they got investigating the case and it was worse than what they thought it was. But, you know, they saved my life.
0: This 2016, a Superior Court judge looked at all this and said, you know, there is no evidence against Howard. The only evidence was Amy's testimony and she has clearly over the years said that she lied and the judge it was a very interesting and powerful part of that hearing where the judge turned away from the lawyers and had a long extended question and answer back and forth with Amy about what happened and why she did what she did and did she lie and how did she feel about it. Well you know (laughs) I was sitting there with Miss Newman
1: the one that teach Lord Duke Law School. I was sitting there beside her, and uh, and she was holding my arm, and and uh, I was glad she was holding my arm because I was, you know, a really little nervous. And and so when I, when I could tell when things got going good, because she looked back and gave my family a little smile, so I knew we are doing pretty good now. And the judge said, "I've heard enough," and he looked back at me, and he said, "Mr. Duck, are you going home today?" And I said, "Oh my goodness." Miss Newman looked back and started smiling. And I, I didn't want to look at my family because I did. I said, they, I know they broke down. I probably broke down too. So uh, that was one of the most highlights moments of my trial. It got hard. It got hard. It's obvious being away from your family, people that love you. And uh, my wife is not here. I wish she was. My mom's not here. Luke, hold up. I wish I'm good.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wish the <I> <laughs> 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 My wife fought so hard for me. She fought so hard. My mom asked one question, what have my son done? They couldn't even give an answer. Right. And, you know, this is a great injustice, and, and uh, it's over now. These are things that I had to suffer, you know, for no reason at all. You know, uh, not being able to see my children graduate, not being able to go to the football game, not being able to take them out, not being there for them to raise them. I, I suffered. For what reason? You know what? Uh, when you be in a situation like I was in and you come back home, there's just so many things that's running through your mind. The streets have changed. A lot of people that were here when you left, they are no longer here. You walk down the street that you think is right, you don't see the sign, you don't know what it is. And so, you know, family, my brother come and said, you know, this right here. I said, no, I don't know who that is. This your granddaughter. I said, my who? This your granddaughter. And here go another granddaughter. Here go a grandson. And, you know, these are some of the things that I I, I, I had to uh, endure. In December
0: of 2021, just a few days before Christmas, Governor Cooper pardoned Howard Dudley. It had been almost six years since Howard Dudley was released from prison, and nearly 30 years since he was incarcerated.:
1: I went to the store that morning and grabbed a sandwich, and I was on my way back home when I got the phone call from Miss Newman, and uh, Miss Newman and Jamie was on the phone together, and they thought they singing you know, a song uh <laughs> "Well, we got some good news for you, Howard." <laughs> and so she said, uh, congratulations, congratulate the grant you a pardon." So I kind of like pinched myself, make sure I won't sleep <laughs> I said." Miss Newman, you say, What? You just got your pardon <laughs> And now I sit and then I dropped my head, I almost shed a few tears, but you know, that was a great moment.
0: I heard uh, one afternoon uh, from a lawyer at Duke that Howard had been pardoned. I was surprised. I knew that Howard had applied years ago, but it just sat there and sat there. And so when I heard I thought, well, good for Howard. I mean, about time. He's been, geez, almost 30 years in the making. And so now his he's officially cleared, he's officially innocent.
1: It it works when, when a person gets justice, but when they don't get it, it's terrible. And then I I told I told the governor this right here, I said, I said Governor Cooper. I said, why do you make us suffer going in? You make us suffer coming out. When we, I've been out. I've been out going on seven years, and he just grabbed me a pardon. What would I have done if I hadn't had family support? Slept on the ground. Out, ate, here and there, go to the home, the kitchen, the shelter. I probably spent a few nights. For what reason? You made me suffer going in? You make me suffer coming out. Where is the logic? That's all I ask
0: the wheels of justice move slowly. If you look at people in North Carolina who've been exonerated, uh, some people spend six or eight years in prison. Howard spent 23. Some people have spent, you know, 30, 40 years before they're exonerated. And it's because we don't have, our criminal legal system does not ensure against, error or against accidents. So Howard Dudley, it's basically like his life had a plane crash. And when there's a plane crash in, in real life, you've got these engineers and pilots and the National Highway Safety Transportation Administration comes out and they do a big study. Why did it crash? What exactly happened? What was the sequence of event? How do we fix that so that we don't have a crash again? Well, You could do that in every one of these cases of innocence. You could point all the reasons that we've been talking about, about why Howard Dudley, an innocent man, spent 23 years in prison. You could do that for hundreds of people across the country. And we could come up with ways of fixing this. But that's seldom done. Uh, We don't, as a society, examine how do we prevent these mistakes from happening. You know, I don't want to go back into another prison. If I don't forgive,
1: I'm going back into another prison, a prison, a mental prison. And so I don't I don't want that. There's nothing can change. There's nothing that have already occurred. I, I can't change anything. So I'm out here now. I'm just living my life. I'm enjoying my life. And so why go back into another prison to some degree and, and suffer? It it, it, they can't take them 24 years back. You know, they can't bring my mama back, they can't bring my wife back, they can't get me back to see where I can go see my children, go play ball, raise them up again. You know, so you, you learn to move on. My experience, I pray to God that it, it'll help somebody else. Because like I said, there's some old Howard Douglas back there. And when I go out and do speeches, you know what my speech on? Being a voice for the voiceless. That's, that's, that's what I call my speeches. I say I'm a voice for the voiceless because those guys back there don't have a voice. Them Howard Dutton back there in prison, they don't have a voice. And so I'm a voice of the voiceless.
0: This episode was produced by Charlie Shelton Ormond and me, Anissa Khalifa. Our editor is Dave DeWitt. Thanks for listening.